Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome to Focus Today. I'm your host, Perry Atkinson, and I'm always honored when he gives us the time, and that is our good friend John O'Connor. He's a trial lawyer, author of the book called Postgate, former federal prosecutor. Uh, the book Postgate is how the Washington Post betrayed uh, Deep Throat and covered up Watergate and became today's partisan advocacy journalism. He served as a U.S. attorney uh, there in Northern California, representing the United States, both in civil and um, criminal law. By the way, he does have a website. It's called postgatebook.com. And you'll see the sequel, The Mysteries of Watergate. Two great reads. Check it out. John, good to see you, friend. How are you? Hey, Perry. Good to be with you. Thanks for your time. We do value it greatly. Um, this is so interesting. So the former President Trump gets brought up on rape charges, but wasn't convicted of that and given some other charges. What do you think of this one? Well, that's really odd. First of all, the defamation's easy. I, I mean, I'm not saying he should have been held liable, but he's, there was certainly a basis. He, he sort of... Uh, he did defame the woman. Uh, and uh, so I, I, that's not surprising. That could be up or down, depending upon what the jury's taste is. In another area, he might not have gotten hit for that. But any trial lawyer would say, look, this is a hostile jurisdiction for Trump. So no surprise. What is really odd, though, as you point out, she charged him with rape. The jury explicitly said there was no rape. So. Uh, and then they made up, really, or guessed, really is what it is, that there must have been some other sexual abuse. Uh, you know, I, I suppose, I don't know what it would be, some sort of harassment. But they're just guessing. And, 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 and that wasn't the charge. It wasn't. She didn't say, by the way, he raped me and also he harassed me uh, doing X, Y, and Z. That isn't what she charged, nor was she seeking damages for some unknown form of sexual harassment. <laughs> so I think what the jury did was they listened to that Billy Bush tape, which came into evidence and said, my gosh, this guy must uh, sexually harass everybody that comes down the pike. Uh, therefore, uh, we'll just assume, we'll speculate, we'll guess that he must have been guilty of uh, some form of sexual abuse, even if the even if the uh, witness didn't say that, even if she testified to something else. So it is really odd. I'll tell you that it's really odd for them to come out with this thing. Uh, uh, and so, okay, I, how to explain it? So obviously, there the, at play here is the disdain for Trump in New York. So I don't know if he can get a fair hearing on anything there. They just don't like him anymore. But I did read something kind of interesting. Since they weren't able to make the rape charge stick, can they prove anything happened? Well, that's my point. If, if you have somebody, what they're really saying is, we believe the witness lied or embellished about this Bergdorf-Goodman episode, which was almost to a T following a Law & Order episode. I find it so odd that Law & Order would have a rape episode in the Bergdorf-Goodman lingerie uh, uh, area, which, I mean, you can't make that up. How, how did that happen? Uh, so, so they're really saying, we don't believe you. This didn't happen. 
Now what you've got is before the alleged rape, there was some playful, you know, uh, sexual bantering uh, that was apparently voluntary. So if the rape didn't happen, then what have we got? We've got playful sexual bantering in evidence. And that's what what makes it so odd. It's just really a made up uh, verdict where, gosh, this must have happened. And it's I think the jury's own way of saying, look, we didn't don't believe her. We can't say that Trump raped her. But let's come up with something because we don't like Trump. Uh, And this is this is really uh, Trump's world. I mean, people are willing to uh, suspend all disbelief and uh, do anything they can to get Trump. Uh, That's just our modern world. And if you're Donald Trump, that's the world you live in. Is this another Nita Hill, Clarence Thomas and a high school girlfriend against uh, Judge Kavanaugh? Whole thing's made up. Well, uh, I, I would say that. I, I think it is. I think it's uh, what happens in these things is there's a lot of embellishment. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the Judge Kavanaugh thing was bizarre, and I think that was uh, made up. I've written a couple articles about it. Uh, for instance, in that case, she said that she was so traumatized that when she went into the Safeway, where I think his name was Mike Judge, was a clerk, he wa- she wanted to avoid him, so she went in through the second entrance. Uh, And she made a real big deal of that. Now, there was a book out by Mike Judge that talked about him working at that Safeway. So she she knew that from her own lawyers. So she could embellish that detail. What the lawyers and she did not take into account was that that second door wasn't constructed until 15 years later. So, so, uh, you know, that wonderful detail that made her remember this so well because she went in, uh, she was so traumatized, she had to go in that second door. Well, that just shows you what's happened. So she made that up. uh, And look, uh, you know, uh, back in the day when, uh, you know, I was that age, you know, if if a guy just playfully tried to jump on a girl for 20 seconds, that's sort of what happened at parties. I mean, it's yeah. not considered sexual abuse or attacks. It's kind of, you know, what what kids do when they're playful. Uh, and and then so you accept that and you say, wait a second, even if you accept everything she said. That's that's not like a sexual assault. Yeah. And even if you took everything that that Anita Hill said. The worst thing Clarence Thomas did is he said there's a he looked at a curly uh, hair on a can of Coke and say, hey, is this a pubic hair? Oh, that's terrible. Let's not appoint him a a Supreme Court judge. And the other thing she said was um, he also talked about porn films that he had watched. Okay, that's the extent if you believed everything she said. And you want I wanted to say at the time I'm listening to this and I say, well, wait a second. Uh, we're supposed to get shocked by this. Let's assume it's all true. I mean, I'm, I don't have any reason to disbelieve her. I just, <laughs> I just think calling this sexual harassment, he never tried to grab her, kiss her, hold her. He obviously wanted to go out with her. And uh, I don't think she's really goes out with men. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, but I think he helped her move. If you help somebody move, you must like that person a lot. So she, he helped her move and never made any advances to her, but just let her know that he wanted to go out with her. Uh, so there's something wrong with that. I, I don't get it. And yeah. the me- willingness of the media to uh, project onto these innocent things, whether yeah. it's Kavanaugh or Hill, it's just really, um, 
it's really quite disturbing. Did President Trump make a mistake by not testifying and at least being in the courtroom? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, although I must say this with uh, President Trump, uh, given his given his bombastic personality, <laughs> his lawyers <laughs> may not have wanted him in court because you never know what he's going to say. He's not the kind of guy that a lawyer can uh, corral and train. So there could have been some method in the madness. Now, that said, it's it's just a time honored uh, principle that you always have your client show up and act like he cares because you've got these jurors there that you're paying two cents an hour to that are disrupting their lives. And All you right. don't think it's important enough for you to show up. So that's that's a, a, a standard uh, trial law. One on one. Have your client show up. Um. How strong then, therefore, how strong is the president, former president's appeal case? I don't think it's strong at all <laughs> because mm. because on an appeal, the appellate court is really ruling on matters of law. Uh, and if there's any factual, I think it's called the scintilla of evidence. If there is a scintilla of evidence supporting a, any particular factual finding, the court will uphold it. So they're looking for areas of law. Now, sometimes there's just such a complete lack of proof as to a particular area that, um, that uh, you know, the, the court will overturn a factual finding. But most of the time, it's some legal issue. Uh, for instance, the legal admissibility of evidence. If evidence was admitted wrongly against the law, you can reverse or things like that, but not evidence that was appropriately admitted, like her testimony about what happened, the court could say, look, the jury might have believed that, you know, he assaulted her in the room, but didn't penetrate her or something. That's well within the evidence, even though I don't think that's what the jury really meant to say. I don't think uh, they thought he really had attempted to rape her. But nonetheless, there is evidence there from which a finder of fact could have said that he committed sexual abuse. Um, and I assume that the complaint generally read could be held to say that. Now, let's say the complaint is so specific that it only alleges a rape and doesn't have some broad catch-all words like sexual abuse. Uh, if that's the case, then maybe the court can say, look, she put on one case and the jury found another. There is that possibility. I'd have to know what the pleadings are and what the evidence is on this concept of sexual abuse. Mm. What is what did the lawyer say, if anything, about what sexual abuse was if you didn't find rape? So that we have to get down to the short strokes on that one and find out if there is that alternative set of facts from which the appellate court could say, oh, well, yes, they could have found this to satisfy the sexual abuse finding. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm at a loss because I've read just from the newspaper reports, she didn't talk about sexual abuse above and beyond the rape. So this is what is confusing. And now, if you're an appellate court and you feel inclined to overturn this because you think it's unjust, you certainly have a basis to do it just on what I said. Mm -hmm. My problem is you're going to have 
uh, appellate court justices uh, elected by the same people that um, you know that that uh, are, are on that jury. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think you got a tough one. You know what appears to me here, John, is all this stuff, all this attack against Trump. They haven't got him yet, but they're getting him. <laughs> you know, it's it's starting to add up. Um, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Well, yes, I think you're right. It's death by a thousand cuts. Uh, and, and what they're doing is, and it's effective. Uh, it's very effective. Uh, although, let's say 40% of the people, well, let's say 70% of the people think all these attacks on Trump are nonsense. A bunch of those people hate Trump anyway, so they're not going to vote for him. So what it does is this carves away that middle five and 10 percent, mm -hmm. mostly women, mostly college educated or women with some college, usually in suburban areas. I used to call them Bryn Mawr housewives. That's no longer uh, good. I, I call them Bryn Mawr female executives, perhaps. Uh, but but people that are well educated um, women of, of really of middling political views, not necessarily wildly progressive, not necessarily wildly conservative. Those people are the ones that stray from uh, the, the voting for Trump. One of the things William Barr pointed out as in the election, his election analysis regarding the stolen uh, election is that those voters did not vote for Trump as strongly as they did in 2016. And I think that's what I fear on the Republican side that is that will happen in this general election. I think you're going to lose those voters. Uh, my wife has a May birthday, so she and, and the lady friends here in Marin County all had a birthday celebration yesterday and they were talking politics and her reports are, you know, they, they, they get their news from CNN and uh, there's no way those women who, who, who are moderately conservative, moderately sort of middle of the road, um, you know, they would vote for George H.W. Bush, for example, probably Mitt Romney. Uh, but you're never going to see them near Trump. It doesn't matter who you run against Trump. You could have the worst person in the world. You could have Vladimir Putin run against Trump and they'd vote for Putin. So yeah, that's, that's, that's becoming yeah. evident. That's becoming very evident. All right, let me take a quick break. Uh, we'll switch because the other side's got problems now. So we could have two <laughs> highly legally troubled candidates. Uh, go to postgatebook.com. That is uh, John's website postgatebook.com. Check out Postgate and then the other one, The Mysteries of Watergate. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back. Honored to have back with us today, uh, John O'Connor, and uh, he's an attorney, former um, U.S. attorney, trial lawyer, 
uh, author of a great read called Postgate, How Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Washington and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. And there's also, you can go to postgatebook.com is the website. Not only get that book, but the sequel, The Mysteries of Watergate. What did that do? It unleashed a whole new different media system in our country. John, all right, so um, President Trump's got a lot of problems. Now President Biden has a lot of problems. The House Oversight Committee has come up with a lot of uh, evidence that shows that a lot of money got uh, delivered to the Biden family through various LLCs um, for what we don't know. We don't know what the business was and we don't know what the money bought. Uh, it certainly breaks all ethical rules, but has it broken anything legal yet? Well, it certainly has, if anyone pays any attention. Uh, what I might say, Perry, if a scandal falls in the forest and nobody's around to hear it, did it really make any noise? Uh, you know, and that's what we've got. Recall that Barack Obama said he had the most scandal-free uh, administration in recent history, and he's absolutely right. There were absolutely no scandals raised in the Obama administration which didn't mean there was no scandalous conduct. It meant there was no scandal as defined by the press exploding. You know, now, of course, you can sell all the uranium we have to Russia and you can have fast and furious where you bring, bring weapons to the uh, cartels in Mexico. But and you can have uh, a phony Russiagate deal. But if the but if the press doesn't say anything about it, then it's not a scandal. So that's what we have now. Now, when we get to Biden, what he's really, uh, and your question was really, is, is any crime made out? And what I would say is right now, here's the crime. It is crystal clear beyond purview of a doubt that Sun Hunter was an unregistered foreign agent. And so he clearly, uh, FARA or the Foreign Agents Registration Act was violated. He was doing mm -hmm. all kinds of this stuff. All right. Now, once you have that, uh, federal law is almost always charged as a conspiracy because you know you have no aider and abetter or accomplice statute. So, prosecutors always talk about conspiracies, and which is a, a, a very much of an easy way to interlock defendants. In this case, it is very hard to say that President his father did not conspire with him as a federal uh, as a, as a foreign agent. I mean, he's bringing the guy to these foreign countries. Uh, uh, he, he lied about whether or not he uh, worked with him on his business. We know he met in the White House with Devin Archer as they were soliciting uh, the Ukrainian oligarchs. And then we know that a little while later, he met with a Burisma official uh, uh, with the uh, help of Hunter, with the intercession of Hunter. So that's just part of it. We know he was involved in Hunter's dealings. After he got out of the vice presidency, shortly after that, that's when the Tony Bobolinsky thing came up. And we have in writing 10% for the big guy. This is part of the CEFC, a CEFC deal. That's the Chinese energy arm that really is goes directly to the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, it is an outfit that was to gain energy resources around the world for China. 
and uh, they involved in much, much corruption. That's proven both in your, your uh, Romania and Ukraine also for China directly. Uh, so there is enough there, Perry, for a prosecutor to say that he clearly conspired. That's a nice way of saying rather than saying he was engaged himself in influence peddling. It's just enough to say he was he was uh, he conspired to help his son violate the Foreign Agents Registration Act. So that that's clear. That's the easiest way to prove this. Now you can talk about other things. You can say that Biden himself was an unregistered foreign agent, even while he's in office. And, you know, that's a fairly rough charge to bring. I mean, almost if, if that's true, that's almost like saying he's treasonous. Well, uh, maybe he is. But 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 I think that's that's sort of something a prosecutor wouldn't want to do. But so the easy, easy case, the low hanging fruit is conspiring to, with an unregistered foreign agent. OK, so where does this go? I mean, they've uncovered the transfer of money. They've looked at the bank records. A lot of this is, substantiates what you've talked about. Uh, I don't know when they turned it over to um, the attorney general or the FBI. Um, do you think this has legs? I mean, does it does this uh, is there enough here to force uh, the FBI and the DOJ to do something? Well, in terms of legs, the problem is, is that the legs are getting exhausted because this thing has been on a marathon. I think the prosecutors have had Hunter Biden's case for maybe four years now. Nothing's happened. It's a Delaware uh, U.S. attorney who, because of the nature of the allegations, must be guided by Washington. There are certain crimes that the local U.S. attorney, and I was involved in this, whenever I had a, a, a case involving public corruption, or election violations, I had to go to Washington to do Mother May I. Other mm. cases, most other cases, I didn't. So this guy's strapped to Washington. Mm. So that's that's one of the problems. Uh, and so he just hasn't done anything. And and I think there the Biden administration is just hoping this thing uh, goes away. But here's what I think has to happen. The only way that this thing is going to get going is if a special counsel is appointed, number one. And number two, the special counsel that's appointed is not just a, um, a, a disguised bedfellow, is actually a guy that, that is really going to take his job seriously. I don't think either of those two things is going to happen. But I do think that with enough public pressure, a special counsel might be appointed. There is a Justice Department regulation that absolutely requires it. And if I were Comer and Grassley, having raised this issue, I would keep on with this issue about the uh, whistleblower as long as that lasts. They're never going to get the document that they're talking about. That's just not going to happen. It's an internal investigative document. The FBI is not going to give it up, nor for precedential reasons should they, because it's just not a good precedent to say, I want to see an internal investigation uh, you know, that may affect the guy sitting next to me. Uh, but uh, there should be a special counsel and Christopher Ray should be grilled about it. And uh, and also about whether or not he's doing anything about it. And is he reporting all this stuff to the Justice Department? And then you bring in the Justice Department and say, are you getting reports of this? We don't want to know what the document says, but are you getting reports from there? If so, 
why haven't you uh, appointed a special counsel? There's clearly a credible allegation that there might be. All you need to say is that there might be a crime uh, that involves a conflict. That is to say, President Biden and or Hunter Biden, they both present conflicts for the attorney general. So the Justice Department is in conflict. That's the whole idea of this. Now, here's the problem. The, the statute relies on the objectivity and fairness of the very person that has the conflict. The AG has a conflict, so he's supposed to name a special counsel, but that requires his integrity to say, I have a conflict. Uh, but if he really has a true conflict and is really biased, then he's not going to appoint a special counsel. And the only way you can achieve that is to raise holy hell in the media and embarrass people into doing something. So I don't think that's going to happen, but I think we ought to try to do it. So they could keep this alive in some kind of a investigative committee in Congress. I mean, they could they could get the public uh, attention by unwinding this and exposing these documents in a hearing. Uh, but if you go back to the Spencer Council, I got one word to ask you. Durham. I mean, look how he just went away. Well, he's probably preparing a report now. I, I, I am not sure of everything that transpired. I do know that there are several problems he had by not getting convictions on those two people, uh, Sussman and Igor Danchenko. Each of them was the mother load of information about other defendants. So I think if he got either one convicted, he could force them to name names. But because of the situation, they got away with it. In the, in the Sussman case, where he claimed he was not representing a client, they did a nifty two-step at trial. The judge uh, presiding was an old friend of Sussman's from the Justice Department. Uh, his wife, the, the judge's wife, uh, represented a defendant <laughs> in the whole investigation. And he did a lot of things that were within his discretion, but every one of them favored Sussman. And uh, they got out of this thing with a nifty two-step. But but that's one they should have had. Uh, if if you had a regular regular rulings from a regular judge, they would he wouldn't allow various evidence in uh, because he declined to analyze the evidence to see if there's a conspiracy. If there was a conspiracy charge, then you could have let, let in statements by co-conspirators, which would have fried Sussman. But that evidence never got in. So now you go to Danchenko. Danchenko was helped because the Justice Department, the FBI was so corrupt under Comey in its Russiagate investigation that it uh, uh, treated Danchenko royally and, and, and paid him a lot of money and, and recommended bonuses for him. Uh, and they did this for their own purpose to try to buck up Danchenko, who they knew was a Russian, should have known was a Russian spy. Uh, the two FBI agents who were close to Danchenko were terrible witnesses. They told the jury what a great guy Danchenko was and how honest he was and how much he helped him. But it was just a way they had to cover for themselves. The FBI was so implicated in this that they, in covering for themselves, they covered for Danchenko. And, and, and let me tell you why. 
here's here's a guy that they know to be a Russian spy, or they should have known. They're saying they didn't know, but but it was right in his file. He was right in the FBI files that he was he was likely a Russian spy, and they never cleared him. Uh, but what happened is they needed him to buck up the Steele dossier. So they were there to try to help Danchenko look respectable and not to tear him up. So what they did is to try to make him look respectable, Perry, now this is amazing. They brought him in. They named him a confidential informant, meaning they didn't have to release his name to Congress because he's confidential. So number one, they tried to put him under wraps. Number two, to embellish his confidential informant status, they then let him in on 25 separate Russian counterintelligence investigations. So what they did is they took a known Russian spy and they let him know of 25 cases in which they were investigating Russian spies. So now uh, the Kremlin knows everything we're doing through Igor Danchenko, all to try to support this ridiculous Steele dossier claim uh, about, about Trump being tied up with Russia. So here we have the irony if we have all the people that are involved in the Russia collusion investigation are all Russian agents or Russian spies, and then they bring the FBI in, and the FBI becomes an accomplice, so to speak, to, to Russian spying, and they give all our counterintelligence jewels to Russia only to hide their own wrongdoing. Now, Durham's got to, in this rat's nest, Durham has to come in and find guilt. Well, everybody there is so intertwined and so involved, you know, you don't have straight FBI agents who are going to make the case for you. So okay. it's a really terrible situation. Sorry, uh, I went a bit long there, Perry. Yeah, that's fine. I, I want to get you back, John. I, again, I do value your time. you got so much wisdom here. Let me just summarize what I think I'm hearing you say the big picture here. Um, they're, they're getting Trump. They're getting him. They're, they're going to pull away five, six, seven, eight percent of his vote with women. Um, nothing happens to Biden. Continue investigations against Trump. They want him to be the, the nominee. And Biden wins again by never getting in an airplane campaigning anywhere. I think that's what we we're looking at, Perry. Okay. Can I get you back soon? Thank you, friend. <laughs> sure. Can you say can you say President Harris, uh, Perry? <laughs> no, it doesn't flow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take care, huh? All right, doesn't flow. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at the Dove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.